So what were the big battles when this read was written? Well, the biggest battle was probably about this bit and bits like it. Um, And that's in a section that you're going to hear about next week. That was a big battle between the followers of a guy called Arius, who insisted that Jesus wasn't actually eternal, he was a created being, um, and eventually a guy called Athanasius, who said that he was in fact eternal and he was properly God and everything. Um, And they had a bit of a set too. And in fact, the faction of Arius won for a while before the faction of Athanasius actually uh, got the upper hand and, uh, and has triumphed um, the, the biblical faction, I would say. But that's all for next week, and maybe someone else will come and tell you all about that. We today are focusing on the first bit. The Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. For this part then, where are, the, where are the crossed swords? Where are the battles? Well, actually, one big contemporary battle was with a set of ideas called Gnosticism, which I'm going to summarise for you briefly, but, well, I'll, I'll, you can tell me what you think in a minute, all right? This is one version. They did have some variants, okay? So there was a creator God. He was the God of the Old Testament, but he was wrathful and inconsistent and evil, And the world he made isn't good, and he's malicious and bungling. And he was known as the Demiurge. But he is a separate being to the loving, forgiving, almighty Father God of the New Testament, who was revealed by secret knowledge, or gnosis, which Jesus had brought. So Jesus was a messenger to take us away from the evil Old Testament God towards the nice New Testament God. Okay, so there were sort of two gods, but one more powerful than the other. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult to believe, isn't it? Now, the creed fights this battle by saying there is one God, and he is all three of Father, Almighty, and Creator. There aren't two of them, okay? Now, you've heard that I come from Sheffield, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not all that familiar with what goes on in Rotherham, which, for which you'll have to forgive me. But I'm pretty sure that Gnosticism is not a common belief in Rotherham in the 21st century. If you go round to your mate, he is unlikely to say, oh, I got this great copy of this Gnostic book called Hypostasis of the Archons from W.H. Smith, and I've been reading it. It's fantastic. In fact, as far as, as, far as I think most people are concerned, Hypostasis of the Archons is an episode of Doctor Who. So, let's not spend too much time working out what the battles were against weird things that haven't survived. Let's figure out where the battles are today about this particular bit of the creed. Where is, are these core beliefs of Christianity under attack? There are three enormous ideas in this bit of the creed. The idea that God is Father, the idea that he is almighty, all-powerful, and the idea that he is creator, he is maker of heaven and earth, he made everything. Those are three massive ideas, and you could, you could have a whole talk or a whole series of talks on any one of them. But today I want to focus on God as Father uh, because that is an idea that is much under attack in our day. There is a big crossed swords right over the word Father. I'm going to look at three ways that fatherhood uh, is under threat. Firstly, the idea that God is not actually a father. 
Secondly, the idea that fatherhood as a whole is unnecessary. You don't need fathers. Fathers are unimportant or irrelevant. And thirdly, the idea that the primary characteristic of fathers is bumbling stupidity. Firstly then, the idea that God is not father. Things have moved to such a state today that if I use, even use the word patriarchy, um, people think of... Um, uh, people think of fuddy-duddy old men with white beards in a room giving orders to people whose lives they don't understand and messing them around, right? Um, the idea that um, fathers or that men should have a ruling position is such a nasty idea in today's society that even to mention it causes people to look at you slightly strangely. But Christianity is, in important respects, Patriarchal. Patriarchy means pater, father, archal, rule, father rule. And we've got here, or in the creed, we've got the father, the almighty. He's all powerful, he rules. Father, the, he's a father who rules. God is a patriarch. Not all patriarchy is bad, although the ideas have, like many good ideas, been abused in some cases. But the People run so far from the idea of father rule that they often ditch the idea that God is father entirely and sometimes even the idea that he is ruling which makes it hard to understand how he could be God. Then there are people who argue for a, that God should be referred to as female or as genderless. I mean, God himself is a spirit. Clearly he doesn't have a body like us and is not, doesn't, isn't male or female in that sense. But he reveals himself in scripture as father. And that, that is how he has chosen to reveal himself. But there are people who argue um, that, in fact, we should refer to God in female, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, in female terms. From a completely different direction, you have the Muslims. The Muslims say they have 99 names for God, although there is some discussion about exactly which names make the list of 99, but it's there are 99, and Almighty is one of them, Creator is another, but Father is not. If you talk to your Muslim friend, the idea that God is a Father is something that is very foreign to them. They don't think that God is a Father or that he, he needs to be. So then, what does Scripture say? Well, this is where the passage that uh, Ian helpfully read for us comes in, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read it again because it's so awesome. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, that means he arranged that we would be, adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So then, it says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father was, in fact, Jesus' favourite name for God. He refers to my Father very, very often. He is also the father of us by adoption. It says we are adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. 
which is slightly different to Jesus' relationship with God. He is a, a son uh, by, by birth, as it were, by forever. We are sons by adoption, but it's still equally awesome. And even better, on top of that, he means to bless us by grace in Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow! Why, why would people ever want to look at this wonderful truth that God is Father of Jesus and Father of us and means to bless us as a loving Father and come up with some other idea? It's just incredible. But fortunately, we can read the scripture and be reassured that God is our Father if we are Christians today. So, God is not Father, no. God is Jesus' Father and our Father and he means to bless us. So the second idea that is quite current is that fatherhood is unnecessary. There has been a progressive removal in our society and in the law of the need for fathers. As of 2007, two women who have conceived a baby with artificial help can be joint legal parents of that child so that the state says, yes, this is a family and it does not have a father. And we are going to officially recognise it as being a fatherless family. Single women who have decided that I don't need a man, I just want to have a baby, make up one third of the clientele at one um, clinic for this sort of thing. My wife and I are blessed to be expecting our third child. And I was in the Jessup wing of the Hallamshire Hospital uh, the other day um, when we were getting a scan, a 12-week scan. Everything's okay, so that's good. And I saw a big poster, and it said, Involving Fathers. And then there was a picture of a perfectly clean, smiling man happily holding a perfectly clean, smiling baby, which, of course, is how it always goes. Um, And you would think I would be pleased, right? I would be happy that the NHS is trying to involve fathers in the lives of their children. Well, yes, but I would, would in a sense, accept that a bit more if it wasn't coming from an organisation that funds and pays for 97% of the 200,000 abortions that happen every year in this country, in none of which the father has any say about what happens to the child that he has had a part in conceiving. The the very idea that fathers should even have some input into that decision is so completely off the political spectrum that it doesn't even enter the debate. People argue about 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 26 weeks, whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing. But no one says, hang on a minute, what about the dads? It's It's just not even on the radar as an idea that fathers should be responsible for their children while the children are still in the womb. To add to that, there is, of course, the recent redefinition of marriage, which means that the government is, again, in a different way, recognising fatherless families and saying, yes, this is officially what we want, a family without a father. What does Scripture say? Ephesians 6, 1-4. I'm afraid I haven't been able to find all of the things I wanted to say from one section of scripture, but at least it's all from Ephesians. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, sorry, yeah. 
they're, they're in there somewhere. For this is right. It's a favourite verse in our, in our household. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So it starts with parents, but it then goes on to make a special command to fathers. Do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are called by God to a special role, which is to make sure that their children are brought up in a godly environment and knowing God. So, is fatherhood unnecessary? No. Fatherhood is key to the raising of godly children. Now, at this point, I need to say something to people who, for whatever reason, are part of families that, through no fault of their own, have not got a father in them. You might wonder how I might know about that kind of situation. Um, After all, I'm married, I have a wife, we have three children. Well, actually, one of the things that I didn't tell you in my testimony earlier uh, is that two years after becoming a Christian, uh, I was diagnosed with a thing called adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is a cancer of the salivary glands. That was in the year 2000. Uh, They've been chasing it around my body for the past 14 years. I've had five neck operations, two mouth operations, two lung operations, and I've lost one kidney and half my liver. Uh, I have scars everywhere. I have about three feet of scars. Uh, I'll show them to you afterwards if you ask. Um, But, if the doctors are right, and unless God does a miracle, which he is perfectly capable of doing, then sometime between four and ten years from now, according to the best guess that they have, my children will be without a father and my wife will be without a husband. So, to those of you who are in that situation already, I can start to understand something of of how you feel. And I think I have to tell you that while God says that fathers are vital, God also says that he will provide for us. And that is something that I've had to hold on to in my situation and that you will need to hold on to in yours. God particularly says that he cares for the fatherless and the widow. Now, the reason the fatherless and the widow are particularly on his heart and why he has to look out for them is because fatherhood is so important and missing a father is such a a sad thing. It It is not that it's not important, it's precisely because it is. But we can also depend on the fact that God will provide and he will be there Um, for those who are in a situation uh, where that is not true. You may want to try and do something about that situation. Uh, And not as a joke, that is something that my wife and I have talked about, although we decided to not go quite as far as me recommending candidates. Um, But, you know, I would expect her to do what she could to provide a father for my children after I was gone. And that's right and proper. But... If that doesn't happen, I can rely on the fact that God has promised that he will provide all that we need. The third thing then, this this red doesn't show up quite so well, that says the primary characteristic of fathers is bumbling stupidity. This is another idea which is quite current. Or, if it's not bumbling stupidity, it's violence or abuse. I mean, those of you who watch television, 
um, Home Improvement, Family Guy, The Simpsons, Peppa Pig, for goodness sake, right? When was the last time, right, when was the last time you looked at the television and you saw a father being a good father who doesn't secretly have a porn habit or a drug habit or beat his wife or beat his children or is in fact just an idiot who is, has rings run round him by his children and his wife? When was the last time you looked at television and the media and saw a positive portrayal of high-quality fatherhood? When we denigrate fathers, we denigrate fatherhood, and there is a risk of affecting people's view of God as father. But there's an important thing to realise here. We have to get this the right way round. It is not that we are fathers and therefore we try and understand God as father. He was father first, and we are fathers, those of us who are fathers, are fathers derivatively, sort of following on from that. What does the scripture say? It says, Ephesians 3, For this reason, says Paul who's writing, I kneel before the Father, and he comments, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. If you are a father on earth, you, you are called a father because you are like or supposed to be like, God the Father. It's that way round. God was Father first, and we are fathers second, if you like. Now, this is a really great comfort to those of you whose experience of fatherhood, either with your own father or with a partner or husband, is not all that God would want it to be. You may have had a father who was abusive or distant, or even entirely absent. You may, be, you, you may have children in your life who have a father who's not around. But the great news about this is you don't have to try and understand God's fatherhood through the misty fog of your own father's or your own partner's failings. My father, his, his heart was in the right place. He wanted the best for his children. Um, he was not a man of God, He was a man of going to church, at least at the time. Uh, He wasn't a Christian. Um, But we went away to school, we were at boarding school, and he worked very long hours in a business that he and my mother were getting going and starting and and running. Uh, It was a regular thing that um, we would cook the dinner and then ring them up in the office, which was across the road, and say, dinner's ready, and then 20 minutes later we'd have to ring them again because they'd forgotten. Uh, Dinner's still ready. My... My father was not all that, now that I understand, a father should really have been. But, praise God, I don't have, I can look at God the Father and understand what it is that a father should be such that when I am a father to my children, that is where I, I look for my role model, that is where I find my, my anchor point for knowing what it means to be a good father to my kids. So, we can, to a degree, understand God's fatherhood by looking at fathers, but only so far as those fathers are already imitating God. So, I've also learned something about fatherhood from other fathers in my church and churches that I've been at that I have seen, but I've only learned that because they themselves have been imitating God in the way that they do their parenting. Fathers should be imitating God, and when they do imitate God, It shows off God's plan and God's glory as a loving father. And that actually is why 
the devil hates the idea of God as father and of fatherhood because every time a father is a good father it shouts about God's love to everybody around them and that I think is why he's extremely happy when the media has this continuous narrative of the denigration of fathers either as idiots or or as violent abusers so what then is the primary characteristic of fathers the primary characteristic of fathers is not bumbling stupidity it should be oh no we don't have a version of it in white godliness Godliness, And by godliness, I don't mean spending all of your time with your nose in a Bible and ignoring your family. I mean God-likeness. I mean imitating our Father God in the way uh, that you have a down-to-earth focus on the well-being and spiritual growth of those under your care. This is a challenge. This is a challenge. So then, let's summarise. To do this week different things for different people. First of all, rejoice. As we sang, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice because we do have a loving Heavenly Father and we are his children. And if you're one of those struggling in the fight, as the the song put it, if you're facing trial or difficulty, um, we can take our anxieties to him, knowing that he looks after us better than the best human father ever could. We don't have to bear these burdens on our own. We have his support. And this is a particular comfort if our lives do not have um, a father in either, again, for children or of our own, that it should be. We, We have a loving Heavenly Father and that should be a matter of great rejoicing. Secondly, when we feel inadequate as fathers, we should look to God, those of us who are fathers, when our wife is irritating and our kids are frustrating and our tempers are rapidly fraying, then we have the best and most comprehensive manual of what it means to be a good father to look at in Scripture as God from the very beginning was a father as he looks after his people Israel throughout the whole of the Old Testament and as he looks after the church today. Everything that he does demonstrates his love in a way that we can imitate and a way that we can copy. And of course, for those of us, all of us, who inevitably fail at that, there is grace available, there is forgiveness, and there is a new start. And that is also a wonderful truth. Just as fathers discipline, restore, and forgive their children, so God does that to us. Thirdly, if you're not a father, you can love, respect, and encourage the fathers who are in your life. Now, we we have some friends who are missionaries in Kurdistan, and they have terrible trouble with the fact that they go round to the house of their friends, uh, Kurdish friends in Kurdistan, and, um, uh, and one of the friends says, here, would you, would you like a sweet? Um, and uh, the child is like, and uh, the par- you know, one of them is like, no, I'm, I'm sorry, she doesn't have those things. And the, 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 the person just goes, oh, go on, it's all right, and gives it anyway. Right? Completely overriding his attempts to exercise fatherly control and my wife says she has this problem when she goes to see some of our Bengali neighbours you know um, William our son will be offered something and she'll say actually no that's not for him and she'll give it to him anyway it's like don't contradict and destroy the authority of fathers in your life in small ways or in big ways don't accept behind the back whinges about how poor a certain father is being at being a father But also, 
Don't accept abdications of responsibility from fathers that you know. If you're in a position to lovingly challenge them, if you think that if you think that there are fatherly things that they should be taking up and leading in, that they're not. Encourage the fathers in your life. And lastly, ask of new ideas or government policies or TV programmes, what do these say about fatherhood? What is the the effect that this thing is having on people being good fathers? Um, Are you supporting perhaps without thinking about it, political policies that have an effect of making fathers less important. Perhaps even because you're told that it's the compassionate thing to do. What are your kids watching? How are fathers portrayed in the things that your children see on the television? Or what are you watching? Um, think, of, think, of a, think of a narrative TV programme, like a soap or a sitcom, that you really enjoy watching. Just think of one. It'll be a different one for everyone. Now think of any father figures in that. Are those father figures good fathers or bad fathers? Is it expected that they're good fathers or is it accepted with a resigned sigh that of course they're going to be useless after all, they're men? How is it that the things that you are bringing into your thoughts and your mind are, what what are they telling you subconsciously about what it means to be a father and what fatherhood should be? No matter what people say, God is our Father, he means to bless us, and nothing and nobody can stop him. And that should be a great encouragement for us all today.